Today we start a new series. Um, it's always hard to introduce a series and a sermon all at the same time. Because what we're going to be talking about from now up until Easter are some of the things that are a part of our journey that we don't necessarily, are, we're, we're not really able to put our finger on all that easily, yet they are so prevalent in our lives and in our world, and yet they are the very things that begin to suck out the power of the message that God has communicated to us in the resurrection. That God has stepped into our lives in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that just brings this tremendous uprush, but somehow or another we have all of these spiritual leaks that take all that power out from them. And so we want to begin the journey today of trying to recover redemption. The power, the place, the, the, the exhilaration, the, the hope, the joy, the peace, all of that, that comes with redemption. And we're going to be looking at a number of different redemption robbers as we go along uh, through these few weeks. And I want to start out with it with a story that God brought back to my mind this week. It's interesting what your mind retains in terms of memories and how fast they can kind of all come back together. But it really relates to the issue that I'd like to speak to you about today. Is time when I was, I was in the eighth grade, and um, it was springtime. And back in those days, I was still a baseball player. I eventually switched over and became a lacrosse player, but I was a baseball player. I don't remember the circumstances as to why, but I had been assigned to a Division II team in our Babe Ruth League. So we had Division One, we had Division Two. So part of the way that works, and I, I don't know if I just missed tryouts or if I was just that bad that I didn't get picked, and it's probably the latter, but my ego and memory is repressing that thought, and I can't really remember which one it was. But I was on this Division Two team. It's a big difference, right? Division One, they play at the nice field that had just been built. They had real live uniforms and hats and better equipment and all that kind of stuff. And those of us who were in Division Two, we got we got T-shirts. You know, we didn't get uniforms. We got T-shirts. You know, and you know, you had to buy your own pants, and you sat on a wooden bench, and just kind of behind, you know, it was, it was just a totally, no fences in the outfield, it was just a, like more of a cow pasture kind of feel, kind of, it was just, it was just different, right? So, you, you kind of knew where you fit in the pecking order, just by the uniforms that you got on opening day, and right on down the lines, and, and I was on the Division Two team, and there, came, there was a day in which two teams in the Division One were scheduled to play a game. And a number of those kids were on the freshman baseball team, and they would not be at the game, and they needed substitutes or they were going to have to forfeit. So I got a call from the coach of the Division I team that we were kind of connected to, and he said, we want you to come play with us on this particular night. And there were two or three of us from the team that were invited to come and play. And, and I remember getting to the field and, and just feeling, one, intimidated, right, because we're used to this crappy field out behind the school, and here you are with one that's got real-life fences and backdrops and et cetera, and umpires that look like umpires. It's not some guy, some guy's dad who comes out to, you know, to, you know that guy. Then it was just different, and not only that, they're wearing these nice uniforms, the kids that are there, and the rest of us are wearing these t-shirts, you know, and, and I remember, you know, it, it should have been an event that I really should have. I love playing baseball, you know. I just love sports in general, I, I, but but once I got there, instead of hit, I was thinking, I can't wait for this to be over. You know, and, and part of that was because instantly, even if you stood, as you stood in the dugout, even if you were doing warm-ups, 
Everything all over you just said, you don't belong. Because you look different. And there's a sense in which that all got fed into the fact because you didn't earn your way on the team. They just kind of reached out to you in desperation. I mean, you were better than forfeiting, right? You know, so that really, that, that boosts the ego up quite a bit, right? You know, you know, we don't care. If you can't catch the ball, that's fine. At least we're not going to have to forfeit kind of idea. And then when you get into the game, and I can remember my first at bat, I struck out on three pitches. The third one was a curveball. First curveball I'd ever seen. You know, and so I'm standing in the batter's box, then comes the pitch, I'm saying, I don't want to strike out, I don't want to strike out, and it's like headed right at my shoulder, and I'm like, oh, and then it breaks, you know, and you go back to the dugout, and you say, I, I just don't belong. I don't belong, and, and, and you, and, and what, you know, I wasn't smart, I was eight, year, eight you know, it was eighth grade, 13 years old, whatever it was, and, and it's just, but there's something going on there that really dominates our lives across the board. And it, and it wasn't really until years later I was c- kind of translated back, but but all of us, it, it, it's just the way our world works, if you will. It's something that we just kind of pick up by osmosis, even if we don't want to. But there there is just this concept that if you don't earn it, it's not really yours. And if you didn't accomplish it, you don't really belong. And there's just a sense that, that, our, that our identity, our, our value, our worth, uh, who we are and where we stand and what we're about and all those kinds of things, all of that is related to how well we do. And, and we see that across the board, don't we? The champions get the trophies. So now in most of the youth sports, they give everybody a trophy, right? You know, the kids know. I mean, we, we, we were playing, you know, uh, uh, t-ball, you know, and, and everybody hits, everybody scores every inning, right? And then you've got, got kids in that age, five-year-old, six-year-old, everybody goes to the plate every single inning, hit the ball, everybody gets to run around the bases, the last one up, everybody runs around, everybody wins, everybody scores, every inning, right? The kids know who's better than the other kids. You're not fooling anybody, <laughs> you know? They know, they know which, who's hitting it farther, they know who can catch the ball the best, who can throw the ball the best. They, they, they know, it's, and it, it's like, and they look up, the, it's all about performance, right? Now listen, we, we take this, and, and you know, um, I said the first service, you know, it's like some, you know, I've scuba dived a few times and certified in that, we do some snorkeling stuff, and, and you want, sometimes you look at fish and you want to say, I wonder if they know they're in water. Because it's the only reality they know, right? I mean, it wasn't until the 1600s that they discovered gravity. I don't think it was the first time an apple fell out of a tree and hit the ground, but because it was just always there, I mean, stuff falls down, right? I mean, what's there to discover? It's just there, right? It was the same with oxygen. They didn't even discover oxygen until we were having the Revolutionary War. You know, and it wasn't like nobody had breathed any oxygen before then. But sometimes it's just all around us. We just can't even see it. And we have that experience where we, we, the only reason we matter, the only reason we belong, the only reason we have a place, who we are is what we're able to accomplish, what we're able to do. And we take that because it's just so pervasive. It's so, just so really immersed through all of us. And we take that over and we bring it to our spiritual lives. And we say, the only reason that I could possibly belong in God's dugout is because I went to tryouts and passed. 
And it just robs us of the gift that God is trying to give us in redemption. There's even many of us here today who say, well, I, you know, I've, I've confessed, my sin to Christ, confessed my sin to God, I've invited Christ into my life, and etc. And yet, we still look at our journey today that the only reason that God can save me, post, accept me post-salvation is because I've been, go, I've been going to church enough, I've been reading my Bible enough, I've been, and we're still trying to earn our right to sit at the table that God's invited to us and has laid out a feast before us. It's not just the pre-salvation. It can be the pro. I told the first service, I was in Romania a few years ago. We, ben and I went over. We were working with a cousin of mine who was leading a, a, um, a collegiate mission project. And while we were in Romania, we had, were working with a missionary from the International Mission Board. And we were in a city by the name of Kluge. And, and it was a lot of great things about that trip. So the, the one thing I remember most graphically from this missionary, we're sitting, we're having lunch one day, and Boy, students got there, and he said, you know, he said, one of the most difficult things in Romania is to get people to be baptized. And, and I said, well, why is that? It's not because the water's cold. It's not because it's, they've got a huge Roman Catholic background or any of those kinds of things. He simply said that even though people come to personal faith in Christ, and they, they understand that they're somehow or another been blessed, and now they're a part of the family of God, they've been forgiven, all that kind of stuff, they are convinced that if they're baptized, that if they ever sin again, they can't be forgiven. That, that's it. When you're baptized, the window in God's grace closes. And if you fail after that, you're sunk. We may not have that same sense that the window closes, but we think it goes down a lot sometimes. And and where I fit with God, how, how much God cares about me, what he thinks about me, all depends on how well I'm performing. And I got to tell you, that is a thought that the enemy uses all the time. And so I want to share some thoughts with you today about how we need to recover the power of redemption in the area of this li our lives where we where you're thinking about the, 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 like our performance, if you will, what, what, really, what really entitles me to sit in God's dugout and be a part of his team? What, in, what really qualifies me to sit at the table with God as one of his children? And there's just a few verses I want to share with you, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of process through a couple of them, and we'll... We'll start with the book of Romans, and then we'll go to, to the first Corinthians, second Corinthians, and then we'll move on to, to, to the book of Hebrews, and, and I'll try to draw a couple thoughts together for us at the end. Because I think so many of us today, and I told the first service this at the end of, I said, this message is totally different than what I preached in the first service in terms of its flow, and, 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 and I told the first service, you know, we, we, hear this, we hear this offer from Jesus, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And part of the reason why we're not experiencing abundant life is because we're trying to earn it. We're trying to somehow or another perform well enough at the tryouts that we get invited up that somehow or another, even we're, though we're wearing the wrong uniform, you know, if we are, we're hitting the doubles into, into the gap that somehow or another we belong in the dugout and, and yet God is just saying, 
I made this possible. I made this possible. And we're, and we're missing out on the abundance because we're thinking wrong. We haven't had the, the, the thoughts of our minds renewed so that we can really appreciate what God has given us in redemption. So Romans chapter 5, this is page 959 if, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, and Paul's in the midst of a long presentation of the foundational truths of the gospel and how they apply to people's lives, and he's writing to a church he's never been to before, and, and just, just want to pick out the very first verse of chapter 5. Therefore, and he's basing this on everything that God has done beforehand, and providing us redemption in Jesus Christ, that God has stepped into our world in the person of his Son, that he has done for us that which we could not do for ourselves, that Christ died in our place, and with that, we have escaped the wages of sin, which is death, and we have experienced this new life in Christ. And this is what he says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. I, I love the fact that some of the translations, I think, have it better. It says, we have been declared justified. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, and then we really live it out hard and get really good at it and become really holy ourselves, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that. What it says is, in Christ, God has lowered the gavel, and he says, declared us justified, innocent. We get to walk out the door, and that happens by faith. And there's not a single thing that we do that's a part of that. And that spirit of being justified, of being declared innocent, of being fully qualified to sit in the dugout of God, is all by what God does. And yet many of us are sitting here today wondering, I'm not sure God's so close to me because I haven't been doing this, 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 and this, and whatever, and you know, God's not so happy with me right now, and I'm not really worthy. And, you know, and we're struggling with all those kinds of identity issues. And God says, it's, it's done. It's over. It's complete. It's finished. You're justified. You know, the imagery here from the book of Romans is that of a courtroom. I have to admit, I've not been in any courtrooms in a trial. I don't plan on it either. <laughs> you know, I, you know that kind of thing. I, I love movies that happen. I watched The Judge when I was on the plane. When you're on the plane for 18 hours, you can get to watch a lot of movies. I caught up on a few movies as we went along. And so, but you know, here, it's like we stand in the courtroom, and the charges are called out against us. This individual is guilty of sin. They're guilty of treason against the sovereignty of God. This person is, is unqualified to be a part of heaven, etc. And then the defense stands up and they will say, what do you read? What, what, what's, what's your defense? And because by faith we're in Christ, the record that gets read is born of a virgin, grew in stature and wisdom, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on a cross, resurrected on the third day, ascended into heaven. I said, that's a pretty good track record. I think I'll declare them innocent. The record that gets read out is not ours. It's Christ. And we get declared justified. And there is no double jeopardy. We don't get tried a second time around. Let me pick that up just a little bit, that thought just a little bit more. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. And I appreciate you being patient as we move verse to verse. This is on page 984, just a few pages back from where we were at. Paul, again, is speaking about 
many different issues related to our spiritual journey and etc. And, and this is the truth that he teaches here. It says, he made the one, that's a reference to Christ, who did not know sin, he made him to be sin for us. And boy, I could sit there and talk about that a lot. But it was So that we, that's you and I, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, when he asks the question, do you belong in his spiritual dugout, all he sees is his righteousness that totally surrounds us and fills us and becomes us because we are in Christ. And there's nothing that you can do to add or take it away from that through your faith in Jesus Christ. There is no performance factor. There's nothing we have to do to earn. There isn't anything that should make us feel awkward sitting in the spiritual dugout of God's kingdom because Christ has done it all already and our actions have nothing to do with it. Our value to God, our presence with God comes from what Christ has already done for us. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. <coughs> Can you just hand me my water? Thank you. Go to one more verse, one more set of verses. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, page not, actually our text is going to be on page 1021. Hebrews is a very intricate book that talks about how Christ is the superior Moses. The offering that he made was is more superior, is superior to the offerings that are made in the temple. It's going back and forth. And we, I just want to pick up in verse 10 and just read down some thoughts and then kind of give you a few points <coughs> for those of you who would like some kind of an outline. In verse 10, he starts by, by this will, and he's referring to God's will and how God had designed to redeem mankind. It says, we have been sanctified. We've been set apart to God. We've been placed in the dugout of God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Can't get thrown off the team, not kicked out. You don't have to perform to a certain level, have a certain you know, um, batting average or whatever. It says, once for all, you've been set aside through the offering of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, now every priest stands day after day ministering and offering time and time, time after time, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In other words, man's actions, our actions, anything that we do, no matter how godly we think we might be, we have to repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, and it can never satisfy. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins, one time, that was enough. And so he sat down at the right hand of God. Never needed to be repeated, never replaced, never updated, once for all. And he sat down at the right hand. And he's waiting until God's timing to bring the kingdom and his fullness to the world. And in verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. When was the last time you thought about yourself as being perfect in the eyes of God? When was the last time I thought about myself as being perfect? But by one offering, it's already done, it's complete. It happened on Good Friday 2,000 years ago. He has perfected forever those, you and I, who are sanctified. 
And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. There is a voice of God inside of every single one of us that's saying, wake up. You don't have to do anything to be any better for God. Don't try to earn it, just live it. So he goes on to say, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And I will never again remember, not just forgiven, not just forgive, but he'll never ever remember their sins and their lawless acts. The, 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 you know, um, the, the, the hard drive gets melted down. There's no data left on it anymore. And now there is forgiveness of these. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Stop trying. Stop trying to be perfect in God's eyes. Start living as people who are perfect in God's eyes. Experience what redemption is all about. You see, we, we think about redemption through the eyes of, of action. We, we, th- we think we're like verse 11 here. We, we need to offer the sacrifice day after day after day. The only question that God asks is, has the act been applied to your life by faith in Jesus Christ? It's not the actions that we take. It is whether the act of God has been applied to our life through faith in Jesus Christ. And will we reject the concept of double jeopardy that somehow or another we can be tried again for all of this and understand that the one who has made the offering has perfected us forever? How, how long is forever? Is today a part of forever? Is tomorrow a part of forever? Was yesterday a part of forever? Because you're perfected. If the act has been applied We are perfected forever. And then we just need to cooperate with the work of the the Lord within us, the person of the Holy Spirit saying, this stuff is true. It's true. It's true. You know, I I tried to, I told Christina, I said, the hardest thing about this is is to somehow take the truth and somehow bring it out and kind of make it where it comes to life. And and I don't know if this illustration is going to help at all or not, but you know, just just think about two potential scenarios of, of my relationship with Christina. Scenario one, we, we get married almost 31 years ago. We walk out the, the steps in sweltering heat at the Mary Martha Chapel in, in, uh, in Sudbury. It's air-conditioned now, you know, but it wasn't in those days. So it's just coming down. You're walking out, and, 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 and you have this idea that this is just going to be a glorious journey. It's a great start. And it turns out to be a glorious journey. And so in each and every day, out of a spirit of gratitude and of love and of this great relationship you've got, you just, you just keep growing in it and basking in it. You, you, you never have to wonder if it's going to work or if it's true or if it's real. or if I, it's just, It just happens. And, 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 and there is just a there's a celebration of that love and the celebration of the relationship, not somehow trying to make the relationship kind of work. Or a second scenario is I'm unfaithful to her. 
But by the grace of God, she decides she's going to stick with it. And every single day, I'm trying to win back her love and not sure what she's really thinking and questioning and, and you know, why did it? And, and many of us are living our relationship with God in that latter stage. Wondering if God really wants us to stay in the relationship. Because, you know, I didn't do everything God wanted. I, you know, I only read two verses of Scripture this past week. You know, I didn't read one every day. And I didn't give enough money. I'm not saying that stuff's not important. But it's not what qualifies us. It's not what authorizes us to be able to sit in the dugout of God. And it's not like you somehow are trying to have to woo back God back because every time you make a little mistake, God has said you are perfected forever in Jesus Christ. Let God, let, change the way you think. Understand that you're already perfect in God's eyes and then release the presence and the power of the resurrection, of the redemption in your life to be changed. Stop trying to earn it and just live it because it's yours already in Jesus Christ. There's a lot more I could say, but our time is out. I got a couple of thoughts for you today as we get ready to go to the Lord's Supper. <coughs> First thought. If you're having these thoughts and you've never been redeemed, that's of the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're asking yourself the question, am I good enough for God? And you've never embraced the gift of God's righteousness that he provided when his son became sin for us. And you've never acknowledged that sacrifice needed and was made for you and allow God to sanctify, set you apart for him, if you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're wondering whether you're good enough, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Listen. Listen. For those of us who can point back to a point in their lives, and, and, and I, can, I can point back to the day when I was 11 years old, where I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. It's not been a perfect uphill ride since then. There's been some ups and downs and all arounds and many ways in which the, the journey should be much further along than it is, but I can point back to that period of time and God is convicting me. His voice is speaking to me. The Spirit is speaking with me. He said, don't be robbed of the relationship that I created with you today by somehow thinking you haven't done it well enough. Because it's all done already. Let's pray together. God, I confess to you, and maybe many, many other people here today would echo it as well. Boy, Father, I just feel so much more comfortable and at home when I feel like I've earned it. It's mine because of my own achievements. God, I confess to you today that that is really an affront to you. Because I, I, I long to be called your child. I'm grateful that you have given me an inheritance. God, I, I, I'm glad that you've chosen me to be one of your children. And that's all stuff that you did and I had nothing to do with it. And somehow... 
I limit the joy, the peace, the hope, the power of those things. Because I want to add to what you've already got. That set me free. Set us all free. By faith and love. And I pray it in Jesus' name.